This is Gavin Dean Smith, and you're listening to Behind the Stage. I wanted to apologize for missing last week. I had some scheduling conflicts, and then I got sick, and then I took a very last-minute trip out to Arizona. But I do have another episode this week, so thanks for sticking with me. Episode 4 is an interview with an old friend of mine by the name of Zach Dondi. We grew up in the same neighborhood as young kids. Our dads coached baseball together. We grew up playing guitar. So Zach and I have a lot of history, and it was kind of cool to catch up with him. Since I've known Zach, he's always had a band or some kind of project that he's played guitar in. He's released records, he's gone on tour, and now he actually manages the local theater in the Poconos. When you get a chance, check out Zach on Instagram. He can be found at Z-A-C-K-D-O-N-D-E-Y. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Behind the Stage Podcast. And you can also check out my personal page as well, at Gavin Dean Smith. Why not? Stay tuned at the end of this episode because I'll be featuring a song from Zach's latest band called Headspell. Um, He's been recording, he's been writing, he's been releasing music videos, so check that out as well. So let's get into it, everybody. Episode 4, my conversation with my good buddy, Zach Dondi. On the phone, I have my good buddy, Zach Dondi. What's going on, man? How's it going? It's we going, didn't just, man. We didn't just introduce ourselves again already 30 we, seconds ago. Yeah, we've actually been on the phone now for about five minutes, but there's some, <laughs> there's some banter that shouldn't be public. Uh, yeah, you know, living. I feel like, uh, as the, the, I'll use the Gavin term, living the dream, man. Someone's dream. Somewhere. Of the few interviews that I've done, I interviewed AJ, who you know, I interviewed Cliff, I interviewed my brother. And of course, it's one of those things where I'm going through my phone with this concept and I'm calling people I know, but I think of everybody, you're probably my earliest friend Yeah. because our dads coached t-ball together when we were children. Yep. Uh-huh. So, and I played with your brother. Yeah. So we yeah. grew up in the same neighborhood. Our dads coached t-ball. We take it way beyond just growing up playing shows together. Although we did that too. <laughs> we did. We definitely did that. I know that, you know, like I said, I called you the other day. I wanted to do an interview with you. I started this a couple of weeks ago where I wanted to dip into kind of other careers in the music industry, alternative paths, because you do play in a band. We're going to plug your band, of course. That is, you know, in your off time, you have a job and, you know, and you run a venue and that's really what's paying your bill. So that's also keeping you involved. And I, that's why I wanted to talk to you as well. Because while you do have your band and it's something that you do pursue, now that the world has reopened and shows are a thing again, running the Sherman Theater in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania has now consumed the majority of your time. Yeah, I was. that's actually exactly what I was going to say was it's like, yeah, you mentioned like I have the band, but it's like realistically my time is spent at the Sherman Theater. Right. Uh, which is funny because like it's weird. We talk about how I might be one of your oldest like first friends in this and I've been working. How long do you think I've been working at the Sherman? It's got to be at least 10 years. Yeah. 11. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about like when like I so speaking of the world opening back up and everything. So obviously I have to hire new staff and whatever. And I have uh, so like new new kids come in 16, 17, 18 one of the kids said to me the other day, my birthday is in 2004. And I was like, holy shit. 
I'm the old guy now. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, it's true. It's you know, it's kind of crazy too, is hearing kids and there's bands that they've never heard of. I heard a kid the other day and he didn't know who Blink 182 was. What? And, and that blew my mind. Yeah. No. Yeah. I have yeah. to be honest. I can't remember the last time I listened to Blink. I listen to Blink pretty often, actually. But a lot of the really? old stuff, I do, I'm not yeah. going to lie. I do dig that California record. But I'm I've, Matt, I've listened to it once. I'm a Matt Skiba fan. The guy can yeah. write a hook. And, and I and Alkaline Trio is one of my favorite bands. So I think that that record's great. It's not a, to me, it's not a Blink-182 record. Sure. But, but it's, I do like it a lot. I don't want to, I know you just asked me about work, <laughs> but now I'm like intrigued for your opinion on this. So when Matt Skiba joined Blink, right? Yep. I love Alkaline Trio. My mm-hmm. first thought was, if they write a record with Matt Skiba that sounds like self-titled, I feel like that would have blown up. It's literally, I picture like Alkaline Trio's vibe and self-titled's vibe. It's almost similar. Do you know what I mean? So when I found out that Matt Skiba joined, I was really happy because Matt Skiba can write an awesome chorus. Mm -hmm. And knowing that even on that California record, it was written by them it was you know matt skiba was a part of it john feldman produced it um it's a good record i mean there's a lot going on but i mean i was i was pretty excited for him. i was actually eager to see what would happen to alkaline trio because yeah. blink is significantly larger yeah. um but you know it kind of is what it is i mean that's an opportunity you have to jump at it's like a once in a lifetime thing so yeah i get that i support it did they do anything after that record like this is how much i haven't listened to blink i don't really know i don't it's like i don't there's certain things i don't follow like i used to you know no i get it apparently me either (laughs) blink 182's career might be one of them yeah exactly although i do have a memory of borrowing my brother's take off your pants and jacket cd when i went on a field trip that's the earliest blink blink uh, memory uh no it's funny because i feel like i everything connects with my brother because he's older than me yeah like i feel like like uh uh dude ranch Mm -hmm. and all killer no filler both those records i immediately think of like my brother's childhood room because like he was listening to them older brothers do usually get you into music or into some bands so for mine it was dylan got me into like the offspring Mm -hmm. and the ramones and the misfits and the dead kennedys because that's stuff that he was listening to at a yeah. really young age. So yeah. And then I had a brother a little bit older. We were joking around about it on his episode. We had an older brother that like was really into 90s hip hop. So yeah. it was like Wu Tang and Nas. So he didn't get us into punk rock, but he did get us into some pretty good like sure. 90s hip hop yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's awesome though. You got me into the Dead Kennedys. I love the Dead Kennedys still, man. And then I cool thing is when i was 15 i got to open for them yeah that's why i was the sherman theater yeah yeah I mean, <laughs> it wasn't with jello but it was still pretty cool yeah yeah that's why i listened to them because you yeah. opened for me yeah is them in the code remember that band Co- the code from yep. pittsburgh yeah yep why don't we do this why don't why don't we start this from the beginning because this is this is pretty much about you what age were you when you started playing guitar i feel like my dad bought me and my brother guitars at a, at an age where I wasn't ready yet. Like, I feel like I was like six or seven and he got me an acoustic, but I wasn't like, I, I don't know if it was just not able to focus enough to learn an instrument yet. So I, I, I don't think I actually really started playing until I was like 13. Um, so it took me like a few more years to be like, I actually do want to do that. 
Um, and I do remember like asking my parents to get like a Squire bullet was like on sale for like $99 on musician's friend. And uh, it's actually still upstairs in my closet. Uh, that's when I really like decided, okay, I want to try and do this and see if I'd be any good at it. Your dad plays guitar though. Right? Yeah. My dad plays guitar. Yeah. So does my uncle. My uncle do, was like, yes, I yeah. met your uncle years ago. I remember that. He was like super big into collecting for a while. He's like, I think he wrote a, a book on like 12 strings. Like I haven't read it, but it exists out there somewhere. Oh no. You start playing guitar around 13. How old were you when you started your first band set to detonate? I hate, I hate even hearing that name. Hey man, we all have, we all have awful no. first bands and they had awful names. So it's okay. I know. I know. Um, I guess I'd have to say 15, right? That would make sense. And that uncle that you're talking about, that was the collector yep. from Connecticut. I remember yep. him coming down. We cleared your living room out. Yeah. Recorded a record with an eight track. And you yep. did that as the live room. And I think we were probably freshmen in high school when we did that. Yeah. I almost forgot that that was a thing. And then we but sold that, it at, and then we sold it at, at the, the carnival. At the carnival. Oh, I remember. Absolutely, that happened. <laughs> I remember. Absolutely. That was probably, I think that was 2005 or 2006. That that A-track was awesome. Yeah, it was perfect. And then yeah. we were able to upload the files into Pro Tools and then fade them and cut them. Yep. Uh, I do remember that. That was a good time. It was a good in time. living room in the house that I'm still in right now. Yeah. Moved all the couches over. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. I do remember that. Well, that's so, a good memory. That's a very good memory. <laughs> so I remember because we used to play shows together and we would do basement shows. And then I remember you guys started playing the Sherman. At what point did that graduate into Think Big? Because Think Big was your band that <clears throat> did a lot of touring. You guys went to, yeah. you guys had records that came out. You had, you were on a small label, but what year did that take place? Jeez. I feel like I, I feel like I should have done research on myself before I, before I did this. Cause I'm going to do the best I can to recall but it could be, it could be wrong. So I'll be honest um, with you. The reason why I like this format and I like doing it this way, because a lot of music podcasts that are out there, they're kind of mainstream and they're with, you know, some larger bands or they're with larger musicians where you can do the research and then you sure. can ask the questions and there's nothing wrong with going into pre it prepared, but I like this because it's pretty organic because yeah, you yeah. and I are kind of going through because this is stuff that we experience together playing yeah. shows in the Poconos. So that's why I like it because it's, it's just a little bit different and it's a yeah. little, it's a little bit more real because we didn't experience, you know, this commercial success. We had a lot of fun doing what we did, but it's just at a much smaller scale. You know, I feel like, um, like you mentioned, we all had our like first bands with terrible names and whatever. It took me a while of like either playing in somebody else's project. Like I played with uh sleep spent. You remember them? I do. I was like Dan Garifano's band who ended up being in think big. Um, and then I played with North of the city, which was like Chris Visconti and Ace and, and them. And then I think like, after that, I kind of saw the, like the more professional side of things of like, Oh, okay. Like I should be actually taking this serious. If I, if I'm, instead of wasting my time, not that we were, I was wasting my time, but instead of just like, Hey, I'm a kid, this is fun. Like actually saw the professional side of things. And, uh, I think it was after that like after north of the city so a few bands later i decided like i'm gonna do my own thing kind of do it the way i want to do it and see what happens and uh even with that it took a while to to really form 
what it ended up being. Um, like we started when I started, I think it was like me, Lamont and, and like a bass player. And then uh, Dan joined and then we lost that bass player. And then Brian joined and Brian ended up turning into our singer had to be started in 2009, maybe 2010, because I feel like we really started touring in 2011. So it took a couple of years for us to get going. So 2009, I'd say was like when I decided I want to try and do something the right way, which ended up becoming Think Big. So around 2009 as well, I remember this because the intro song that I've been using for this is a song that I did pre-production with you and Rob. Okay. In your home studio. I remember I wanted to start writing songs again because I wasn't doing, Pull the Pin wasn't really doing much at the time. And yep. um, I wasn't really playing shows. And at that time I had just finished working for the Ataris, but I wanted to start recording some of my own music again. And I remember you had a recording set up again, another room in your house that was completely empty and soundproofed. Yep. And you were using Drumagog and helping me out with drums. Yep. So what um, did, did Rob come? Rob eventually came down and did drums on that. Right? Yeah, we drove yeah. up one day and, and he did all the drums. And then we did. Yep. I think we recorded three or four songs in a day. Yeah. Just, just having fun. I still have them. I have this iPod that's the size of a brick. Yeah. That uh, I'm amazed it still works, but they're all on that. I want to hear that at some point <laughs> yeah I'll, yeah there and then i remember i took those songs and then did them with aj okay in his studio so okay aj from episode one so he because he also has a home studio now he works yeah. at sound mine yeah we did those because we started with you and kind of went through the writing process and then took them sure. there and yeah i remember that yeah it's a long time ago now man yeah the two two back-to-back things that i have totally forgot even happened Speaking yeah. of AJ, I saw him yesterday because Don't Panic was practicing in the showcase. I saw the picture. I was working phone. next door. So I was literally coming through the back door and like peeking my head and like waving at them and like going and working and stuff. It was, it was funny. Yeah, they were. Ted actually uh, messaged me a couple of weeks ago and he was like, you know, if you're looking to tour manage, you know, we've got a bunch of tours coming up. But I just can't. Unfortunately, I can't swing it. I've just got a lot of sure. stuff going on and I'm back and forth between here and Jersey City. But they still reach out, man. They're good dudes. Are you living in Jersey now? Basically, I'm there yeah. four days a week. Um, it's a lot of back and forth. But so, what year was it that Think Big went to Europe? How did that take place? How it takes place is easier for me than when it happened. You know, the, I feel like it's it's crazy how like certain things just happen. Like I got added on Facebook by um, a Japanese person mizuki and he messaged me and said hey i like your band i would really like to put your stuff out and i had no idea who he was so i clicked his page and checked it out and he is uh the owner of ice grills so it's a japanese record label um they did they put out newfound glory census fail transit man overboard story so far bounce and composure so like people that were kind of like in the scene, in the realm of what we were trying to do. So once I saw that, I was kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, no matter what, yes, we'll make this work. What was awesome about that is I feel like because of him having those bands that were in our realm, people then started to associate us. At, even if the smallest level, someone would find us 
through looking at like, oh, Transit posted this from Ice Grills, and then they would click the link and find us, which led us to uh, All at Sea Records, which was a uh, English English based record label. He found us through Ice Grills and took us over there. So I attribute most of all of that stuff to Mizuki adding me on Facebook and messaging me. Um, and I want to say I was 21. So it was nine years ago. How long was that tour? Uh, we were there for 16 days. And I, th- so I think it was like 14 days of shows and two off days. And originally it was supposed to be mainland Europe and England. And then something happened and we just did, it was like going to be a week in Europe and a week in England. And we just did two weeks in England. Something. How are the shows? Uh, surprisingly good. Like, I feel like you go on tour, you, especially a low level, nobody band, you expect to play the 10, 20 people. You go on tour in another country as a no name, low level band, you expect to play to no one. So when you have shows that people are there, it's awesome. When Patent Pending took me to Europe, a little bit different of a tour, but I was blown away by like the passion that kids have Mm -hmm. of like waiting all day and kind of going on tour with you and following the tour and buying every piece of merch and the fact that you had success over there. I'm not surprised by that. So I remember this. I remember before you guys went, I sent you guys this picture. It was like, I think I like sent you guys like as a a very sarcastic joke, like a photo mashup of like a bald eagle with a machine gun, like chewing tobacco, something stupid. Uh Do us proud. Yeah. (laughs) The most sarcastic, patriotic photo. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because the band that we toured with, uh, uh, Fine Young Firecrackers, that was the band. They made a tour flyer and it was like a spoof tour flyer. And I think they called it like the real men own guns tour. And it had, it just had like people with like AKs and like, just like picking on us. Cause we were American. It was hilarious. Uh, that's good stuff though. I mean, at least, at least they had a sense of humor. Oh yeah. Well, I'm still one of my best friends is, is from that band. I still talk to him basically every day. Good old James. Yeah. I think we've met. Yeah. You met him. You yeah. met him here. He's still playing, doing his own thing. He's got, he's like, uh, which I, I, uh, helped him with during, uh, during quarantine, he would bounce songs back and forth with me and I would help him, uh, I put a couple lead parts in for him and help him mix some stuff, which became a long running joke because, uh, for the longest time I was like slacking on mixing his stuff for him and our group thread with, uh, him, my brother and, and myself, uh, it was like mix the songs like every day. He's reminding me to mix the songs to so my brother was like just saying it and he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Like, but I did it eventually. So you fly back from Europe, you finish that tour. There's a couple different different pieces that I, I remember in your musical career because of all the bands that you started, I mean, there was, they weren't just short term, you know what I mean? They yeah. were, you guys did stuff. You went on tours, you played a lot of shows, you put out records. So think big breaks up, everybody kind of moves away or grows up and gets married, like life happens. And then, yep. you st- then you start. Perfect teeth. Perfect teeth. Oh my God. Sorry, bud. It's- well, that was kind of, it was kind of short lived. Like I remember you guys mm-hmm. putting out stuff, you guys played a bunch of shows, but then that's when it 
graduated into Headspell. Yeah, so that was something that me, Lamont, and my buddy Nick started. And uh, again, I feel like, you know how it is, like sometimes just the time isn't right, you know, with things going on, life happens. And and with everybody involved in that, it was just really tough to actually make that into what our vision was for it. I got to the point where I had to let it go because it was so much on me that I was trying to do. And it just wasn't good for me at that, at that time. So like, I just had to take a step back. And then once I did, that was, that was it for that. Um, and then I didn't play for probably, I didn't like do, I didn't have a project. I wasn't like actually actively writing music for probably close to two years. And then John, who is headspell with me, started working for me at the Sherman when, and uh, he had, he was in a band called in writing basically they were looking for somebody to play with them. So I started learning all the in writing songs and then they ended up breaking up before I could even play a show with them. And then he was like, well, maybe you and I could uh, just get together. We'll write. And it could just be like a, uh, like a low key project for us to just uh, express, like get some creativity out there. We can record some demos since I have this space and just like, just do some music and we don't have to put any pressure on it. And we started doing that. And I think we really liked what we were doing so much to the point where we were like, okay, well, maybe we should go out and play. Cause like we really, to be honest with you, it is my favorite music that I have ever been a part of uh, written and helped write and anything. It's my favorite stuff that I've ever worked on. Why do you think, uh, why do you think that is? I feel like the, the lesson of the, of the podcast is life happens and you grow, you know, and, and I wasn't a, a 16, 17, 18 year old kid playing diddle beat pop punk anymore. You know, I didn't want to just do three chord power chord songs. Um, and I think, I think John introduced me to different tunings, not just standard drop D he he plays in or he we still do now but he introduced me to a lot of open style tunings where you do a lot of picking and and more riffs riff driven songs instead of chord based and then i really felt like i connected with that i i felt like i was able to write more music along the lines of what i like to listen to the pop punk stuff is great like we talked about blink at the beginning and and those are my roots and i and i get that but like I said, I don't really listen to that. I haven't listened to that in so long. So for me to write that and play that, it just didn't feel right for me anymore. Um, so then to do something more alternative, indie-based, that's what I listen to. That's what what I feel like is me now, you know? Um, so I definitely am proud of what we have done and what we're doing. And just to give the listeners like an idea, what are... You know, if you could give me five of your favorite bands right now or five of your favorite indie bands that inspire you, what do you think they would be? Number one right now, like my if I were to put on Spotify and listen to music, put on a record right now, Delta Sleep. Uh, they're a band from England. Uh, they're like technical math rock. They're so good. It's, it's funny, like I'm going to go get off track, but one of my favorite shows that I watched that I went to as a person to watch all time was Delta Sleep on their first U.S. tour. I think it was 2018, maybe I think it was 2019, actually. Um, and it was it was at Asbury Park Brewery. 
the the yeah there's no stage it was just like a long like skinny room and they were so like they blew me away and i had i was listening to them before that but seeing them solidified like how good they actually are um so delta sleep one of them uh into it over it uh i would say i feel like any top five list band for me at this point has to include minus the bear because at some point along the lines they like took over my life um like i think they were the band that kind of introduced me to like different time signature technical not just verse chorus verse chorus type of music um so like i include them in everything probably even though it's a uh it's always weird saying like, this is my favorite when it comes to music, because I, as you know, like, I feel like tastes always change. Yeah. It changes for sure. You know? Um, but like, they're a band that when I got introduced to them, they have been in that list I'm trying to think of who else, man. I have actually, I'm looking over here and I have like multiple minus the bear stuff. So yeah. So definitely minus the bear American football. Another one that like, it's funny because I feel like, I was late to that party because obviously they've been around forever. Um, but going back to that, the uh, UK tour that we did, I would listen to their first LP every night and it knocked me out because it's so chill. And I remember like, that's how I would fall asleep on that tour. Um, and I'm one of the people that thinks they got better each release. Um, I feel like that was my first introduction into true emo, not like scene emo but like Midwest emo. And I, I honestly love everything that uh, Mike Kinsella does. So like his Owen project, which is his like self project, he does everything. Like, I love that stuff. Um, i trying to think of anything like more recent, but it's funny because I've been listening to a lot more podcasts than ever. So it's like, I've been trying to find the balance of listening to music and, and getting that like creative rush, but also podcasts have like taken over for me. So I did a survey on Instagram because I'm trying to dial this in, right? We have three episodes, you know, everybody's taste is different. So I was asking questions about time frames and ideal listeners. And one of the main things that came up in the surveys is that a lot of people are interested in the songwriting process. Sure. So I like the fact that you brought up minus the bear and you brought up meeting John and, you know, time signatures and, you know, changing of tuning, but with Headspell, like you said, it's your favorite project you've ever been a part of. What's the songwriting process like? Is yeah. it everybody coming together? Is it you writing something and sending it to John? What's how does it how does a how does a Headspell song start? Yeah, so it's so weird because so many of them were done differently. So I feel like we are still looking for that consistency, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because we tend to get some different sounding results from doing it different ways uh if i had to generalize it either john or i would write a riff or flesh out not a full but almost a full skeleton on guitar send it to each other or send it to the band and then kind of build off of that um at the very beginning so like our first ep was was I would say almost probably 90% just John and I. So like he would either bring a riff, I would uh, jam on bass or jam on guitar with him 
or I would have a riff and he would play drums and we would kind of flesh it out that way um, until it becomes something full. Nowadays, um, we, we have been able to bring kind of an idea to a full band practice and all of us kind of just like jam it until something feels right. Theoretically, it starts with an idea, whether it is a hook or a fleshed out skeleton of a song that John and I kind of discuss and build off of mainly, mainly works with him and I, uh, I feel like sometimes when you add too many voices, the process gets harder and harder because you're always trying to accommodate what the next person wants. And not that that couldn't produce a cool result. It just makes it longer. So when you're writing a song or when that skeleton comes together, are you writing with, are you writing with lyrics in mind first? Are you constructing the song musically first and then applying lyrics later? What's that process like? Because for me, when I was in nothing comes free, and of course I was a teenager, so it's not like it matters. We would write songs and then I would try to fit lyrics into them, which is a really awful way to write a song but yeah when you're a kid like you don't really know any better yeah of course like i wrote these words i really like them but then i have this song to go to and then you're like you try to make it fit and most times it doesn't you just do what you have to do yeah but it wasn't until i met rob where he would write he would write melodies and then sit down with a guitar and write to what he thought of yeah yeah sure and I was never used to that. And he would put full songs together and be like, Oh, I had these lyrics written. This is the route that I wanted to take it in. And then he'd sit down with a guitar and figure it out. And he kind of did everything the complete opposite of how I did it. What is, and, and the reason I'm bringing it up lyrically is because John not only has a good voice, but like, he's a really good songwriter. Yeah. Like for as young as he is, when a lot of those songs were written, the lyrical content sure. is very mature. There's not a lot of kids that when I hear lyrics that they write, I'm like, all right, the song's about a pizza party or it's about like getting drunk with your friends, like cool. But yeah. he, lyrically he's, he's beyond his years. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny you say that because I met John when he was 13 and I recorded a demo for his first band, same spot, you know? Uh, and I remember thinking then, Holy shit, this kid, this kid could sing like 13 I could barely, I could barely play an ACDC riff, you know? And like, he was belting it out. I'm like, wow. And then flat, uh, uh, flash forward. And now we're writing music together. So it's like, it's been like cool for me because I've always thought that about John. It's almost like sometimes I'm on the outside looking in, like, this is cool. Like cool for me. I get to write music with, with someone who's talented like this, you know? So in Headspell, John, tends to write 95% of the lyrics, 90% of the lyrics. I'll put my input in when it comes to that. And I would, I don't want to speak for him per se, but I would again say most of the time it's melody first, then lyrics. So we'll have a kind of skeleton of a song and then we'll hear a melody of how it, how it possibly could go. And then he writes to that melody. Um, and, and to the point of the content of them, uh, he has grown up quickly. You know, he's, he is younger, but now he's got two kids. He's married. So he sees things from a new perspective as well. Um, he showed me last practice. He was playing on my acoustic. 
uh, one of the new things that he he wrote. And I said, do you have lyrics for it? And he started singing it. And I could immediately tell it's about his son, his his first son. And I'm like, damn, that's real cool. Like, that's not like you said, pizza parties and, and my girlfriend broke up with me and I'm going to the mall. Like it's actual content. It's actual from the heart, uh, which again is not something that I am used to, you know? Right. Um, so I hear that. And even as someone who's part of that process, I get taken back and I'm like, damn, that's cool. Like I let's do that. I want to do that. <laughs> so today's the 23rd. But you guys have a show next weekend with yeah. uh, with Don't Panic. How, so, I mean, of course, I'm going to try and get to that show if I can. But that's also at the Sherman Theater, which is yep. the theater that you work at. And again, this just to kind of touch, and I, I, I don't want to dig too much into this because I really wanted to talk about the band and stuff you, have, sure. stuff you have going on and stuff like that. So you said you've been at the Sherman now for 11 years. Yeah. How did it even come about that you were going to work there? Their uh, what tech director at the time. My mom was my mom was a teacher, Pleasant Valley School District. Her student teacher was married to the current theater's tech director. So I remember sending him an email like, hey, if you have any extra work, like my mom knows your wife. Uh, just let me know. And he was like, can you come in tomorrow at nine? And I was like, sure. And I remember going in and they had the old movie theater seats. They were grouped in five or six bolted into the cement ground. And the first thing he did was hand me a ratchet and a, and a Pepsi cup and said, unbolt all the seats. And I spent hours on, on my knees, unbolting all these seats. And then Scott and Rich were like, all right, we got to go pick up a piano. And they just took me in some truck. And I, I was a 19 year old kid picked up a piano from somebody's house, loaded it into a truck, went back, and then we loaded all those rows into the alley. And I remember going home and thinking, I never, ever want to go back there. And he texted me and was like, can you come back tomorrow at 9 a.m.? And I was like, yeah. To paint the picture of the Sherman, I mean, what, without those seats, what's the cap on that place? Uh, so it's an 1800 cap, no seats. 1500 full seats but now we have a full different layout in which the seats group into each other they all lock in so we can do any seating configuration we also have full uh uh not banquet style i forget the word for it um but we can do put a whole flat floor in so we do conventions convention style flooring um, in which those decks can also be made to build stages. So we do, basically we've become Sherman theater productions where we can do a production of full on full scale concert series anywhere ever. We can build the entire stage. We have full production, put a bar in there and you're good to go. So why the Sherman Theater at the time? Was it your way of kind of staying involved in music? Did you want to pursue a career in like music production or yeah, I staging? Think I, just wanted to, I think I just wanted to get my foot in something that I had interest in, you know, uh, and wherever that led, it led, uh, which is weird because it really took me down a path where, I mean, I, I knew nothing about food and beverage. I knew nothing about front of house things. I, all I knew was I like to play shows. I like music. Um, and I was excuse me, I was a, I was a grunt for, for years. I was a, just 
picking things up and putting things down. Um, and then I moved into a more management role, um, which I had no experience. They just took a chance on me and said, here's a young kid that hopefully has a good head on his shoulders that, that can learn on the fly. And it turned into what it is, you know? So what are some of your responsibilities for the day-to-day? Because like you said, you, at the time when you started, you were taking out seats, you were, you know, yeah. you were moving stuff. It was a lot of manual labor, but now, I mean, you're not only hosting shows, you're, you're part of the booking process, you're handling front of house, you're handling food and beverage, you're handling yeah, so bars. Less booking these days because we have, we've really started to narrow down heads of departments. Um, so we actually have an awesome booking agent that came in, uh, started kind of like pre-quarantine, but has really hit his stride now. My day-to-day is I am, my department is food and beverage mainly. Um, but so I staff all of the events front of house. I do all the hiring, interviewing. I do all the inventorying, the ordering. Uh, if it's an event, I set up every, all the bars. I set up all the concessions. I set up all of that end of things. My staff will come in for the show, tell them what to do, where to go, help them uh, solve the many problems, uh, like going on the flooded roof and emptying drains so the box office doesn't explode like that happened yesterday. Yeah, during the week, it's prep, a lot of prep. So it's, it definitely, that end of things keeps me bit mostly busy these days. Do you get first dibs at shows when they're booked? Uh, the, the, yeah, you know, I'm sure they would, uh, they would accommodate that. Um, like we played with, uh, which is funny cause I never really got into them or listened to them, but, uh, October, 2019, I think it was, we opened for Andrew McMahon, which was the, he's like, uh, from Jack's mannequin, something yeah, corporate, something corporate. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, a, that was an awesome show. I mean, we had like about a thousand people there. And we were direct support for that. So that was like, they came to us and asked us. I was like, yeah, sure. We'll play that. I'm trying to think of some of the bigger shows that I played at the Sherman Theater throughout the years. I mean, I opened for the Dead Kennedys in the code there, Hidden in Plain View. Wade Stock. Wade Stock, which Matchbook Romance and Bayside. I could tell you one of my, two of my most memorable Nothing Come Free shows. And they're not at all big ones. Where where were they? but they mean a lot to me. One was Pete Trainer's garage and Johnny Boyer forgot his power supply for his like, uh, uh, it was like a Digitech multi-effects, like one of those like two stomp, you know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? And I was like, I have the same pedal. So I remember like being super young. It's like, well, I drive, like I didn't drive. I got dropped off. You know what I mean? So like we went back to my house. I ran down to my basement and got it and brought it back. Cause you guys were like about to play. I live like five minutes away. So like we rushed back to my house to get that. So I will never forget that. Do you remember that show? It so was like, the, you guys, uh, another wasted day. And it was patent pending. Yeah. Because Michael, Rogasta was still the lead singer of patent pending. And yep. then they played, they played Pete's garage and then they drove down to the sanctuary in Stroudsburg and played there that night. I do remember that 2004, I think. And my other, my other good memory was the, I think it was the cool bar firehouse. And it was, I saw you guys there twice, actually. The one, the one time there was a band, I saw you guys, it was an, again another wasted day because I feel like all the local shows were like 
nothing comes free another wasted day but yeah. i can't even remember where they're from but it was a band called like tsp do you remember that show so i remember that kid, big, big mohawk yeah and he played exactly like travis barker yeah and he was a kid yeah uh they were awesome like i'll never forget that and the other show at the firehouse uh what was that band they played an incubus cover they they were played right before you guys so i'm trying to think of one of the the i remember i still have a bunch of those show flyers but one of the shows that we played at the cool by fire hall was like us it was another wasted day it was zen piracy do you remember that okay. zen piracy yep. john's brother-in-law justin uh used to play in a band called astl okay and he's much older than i am he's yeah. probably he's he's maybe five five years older than me yeah and i remember he played his band played yeah but i mean the fire hall for the longest time because i'm trying to think around that that time frame because i remember toast in stroudsburg okay. so toast was right behind the sanctuary in that alley mm -hmm. which is now like a dilapidated building then there was the underworld which was in Scioto, yep. which was the old antique mall like beer distributor it was weird then the sanctuary opened on main street and that got shut down and then the sh there was like an overlap there because the sherman opened like i remember playing shows at cafe metropolis in wilkes-barre yep. it was weird because at the time there were a lot of venues that weren't far but we could never play them yeah. we didn't we didn't have like a press kit or we didn't have a following or we couldn't sell enough tickets like in pittston there was a venue called the showcase i think it was called yeah. the showcase or oh i'm sorry it might have been the staircase i don't know okay um wilkes bear had a venue for years called the zoo um but yeah now it's just like and and i mean there's not a lot of venues that survived i mean especially with covid i mean i'm glad to see that the sherman made it out of this because you know, I've been having this conversation with everybody, like what new venues are going to pop up or what old ones are shut down? Yeah, sure. And, the, you know, beyond that, too, is the whole uh, house show scene. I mean, it's uh, how does anybody do that right now? Like, you can't do that right now. I think so. Here's here's my take on that. I think a house show is attainable. The problem isn't the house show itself. The problem is the kid that plays the instrument. Because sure. kids, kids don't learn how to play instruments anymore. Yeah. And I have this talk with, you know, I've had this talk so many times because there's no instant gratification in learning a guitar. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm 31 years old. I still suck at guitar. Me I don't want to say I suck. I mean, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm not, I, I, I like what I like and I know what I know, but for a kid that can pick up, you know, get a laptop and download Fruity Loops or program beats or anything there's instant gratification in that because you can figure it out yeah and you don't really get that with drums you don't get that with guitar you don't get that with bass because you have to figure it out mm -hmm. so i i don't i can't think of and of course i don't i mean i'm not hanging out with 15 year old kids but i don't know what if even locally if that's a thing anymore it's funny you say that because i i don't know we, we, I had a conversation at work the other day about like what local bands are there, right? Am I just the old guy that doesn't know them now? Or is there less of them? Because it really, to me, feels like there's less of them. Like, I know, um, and I shouldn't say there's none, because even a uh, uh, perfect example, uh, his name is Chris Dela Cruz. He plays like uh, really cool, like indie, indie pop style music. 
Um, and I remember somebody told me about him, like, Hey, he, there's this kid that goes to ESU and he plays indie music. Like maybe he'd want to play a show at the showcase when we were booking at the showcase. And, and, uh, he has grown and he's doing awesome stuff. He just asked us to do a weekender with his band in Philly. And then we're going to do that in October. I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, so like they are out there, but even, even then he was a college kid at that point. So like, when we were in high school, that was the thing. Like we were all in bands. All of our friends had, had this band East had their own like local bands. We West had their own local bands. Like, I don't think that exists right now. I mean, maybe I'm just old and I'm kind of happy that I don't know 15 year olds <laughs> in bands, but, but I mean, like I don't, and I, I, I don't, I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Like, I don't know if that's what's cool to, to kids now. I mean, that is a question for you because you work at, the only venue. You yeah. Know I mean? So cool. I feel like, I feel like if anybody was going to know, it'd be you because you have the power to book the shows, whether it's small or large, you have sure. the tools to do it, but you don't have what, what bands As, exist. They were talking about, uh, it's a conversation about a, a, a show they were actually pitching to, to Headspell for the showcase. Um, I believe. So they're trying to book someone from New Jersey. Awesome sound. I'm not going to say who it is just in case like they don't get them or whatever. They're trying to they're trying to book this band, and he's like, "Oh, I'm thinking about having you guys on." And my buddy uh, John from the Sherman, he he's in a band called Good Stuff. So like, you guys and Good Stuff and them, it would be awesome. I'm really trying to get like more locals on, and and I just said, "But like, who? Like, who else do you have in mind? Like, who else is there? Because I really don't know right. the answer anymore, which is kind of scary on the." uh on the lower end side of things so like as you know the sherman theater is the big cap room and the showcase fits about 100 people so they want to start doing stuff in there but it's like who do you to to get the caliber of artist in there for a hundred cap room you either need to get someone that's going to bring 100 people out that'll take that that'll cap that room and make the room some money and make themselves some money right or you're going to book a local showcase type show but I don't even know who you would put in that room at this point. When it comes to local bands, I mean, if it's not the band that you're currently working on or really, I mean, the fact that Ted is still doing Don't Panic. I mean, sure. if you if you look at those dudes, I mean, they've also stayed the course. Like, I remember when Ted was in shortwave radio with Rob. Yep. You know what I mean? And that was 2002, 2003. Yeah. And then was in split 50 with Keith, who's also in don't panic. And when AJ was in Punchball hustlers with, with, Anthony. that was the band. Sorry. Yeah. That was the band that did the incubus cover. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Anthony who's in don't panic was in pull the pin with me. Yeah. So it's like, these are all dudes that they're still doing it. They're still touring. They're still writing music. They're still putting out records, but everybody else is kind of, I don't want to say moved on, but I mean, it's, it's tough. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think that's a perfect example of you just named, take their band as an example, you named all the other bands that they were in, right? But everybody else that were in those bands don't do it anymore. So then they got together and they did Don't Panic, right? So that's kind of what happened. John was in in writing and I was in Think Big, but now we're in Headspell. You know what I mean? And Connor, who was in writing, is in Headspell with us. Where is the next line? Where, when, like, where's excuse me where's the next wave like that's what i keep waiting for is the next wave of people that are gonna hit the scene 
if that's ever going to happen. I don't know, man. It's a crazy time. It's a weird time, you know, whether it's, you know, and I'm not going to shit on digital music because I, I, I love a lot of that stuff, but I just think it's, you know, I just think times are different. Yeah, definitely. Is it sad? Yeah. Cause like if I had kids, I'd be like, yo, you're playing guitar. I mean, that sounds silly, but I mean, at the same time, it's like, that's, that's stuff that I like. And I'm glad that my parents allowed me to pursue music, but yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know if it's a mixture of technology, if it's Mm -hmm. COVID, if it's, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of variables right now that it's like, if we could come back from this, that'd be sick. But I mean, who knows, man, maybe there's some small town in South Jersey where kids are still playing basements. Well, there's definitely, that is definitely the case. I think, I think everything you said, there's varying degrees in which it affects it, right? So all of those things have some effect. COVID, I think, has an effect everywhere, obviously. Um, But like Long Island, their scene is awesome. And it has been for years, man. It's like, I remember even as a teenager, like Long Island was awesome. Yeah, I mean, kids in Long Island are still playing. We played with a we played with a band, uh, without caution. They changed their name. I apologize because I don't remember what they changed their name to, but it reminded me of watching like John when John was young because these kids were like kid was like four foot ten, like he was a t- like a tiny high schooler, and they were ki- like they weren't playing Green Day covers. You know what I mean, like. They were like killing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy crap. They actually have high school kids playing real music on Long Island. Like, I can't remember the last time I saw that in Stroudsburg. I think one of the first shows I played on Long Island was at the Amityville Music Hall. Oh, I love that place. And that show was at that AMH. It, pull pull the pin played and i remember rob telling me he's like this show is going to be great and i had never played long island before and there was a line outside and then there was also a line because they were they weren't letting anybody else in so as soon as like kids were going outside to like smoke a cigarette or go hang on and they were like let and it was packed yeah and it was kids like jumping around and crowd surfing and and like kids knew our songs and of course we're not that far but yeah. it was it was very cool. It was very cool yeah. to see. And like, I love I, playing on Long Island. It's just kind of wild to see the different markets as well because we would play, you know, we'd go to Long Island and everybody knew the words. We'd come back to Stroudsburg and people knew who we were because we were from there. Um, and then we'd go out to, to uh, Sandusky, Ohio, and like yep. we did a lot of Midwest stuff. And yep. every, I mean, we would a lot of a lot of times we did a lot of the same routing because we knew that kids would show up. Sure. You know what I mean? So you're right, though. I think, it, you know, based on market and variables, it's. Yeah, it's I feel like different. it's very maybe maybe it's just like a local problem. Like maybe it's just this is what our area has become and kids have less interest in it right here, right now. Not saying that that's always going to be that way, but it definitely feels that way right now that there's less interest. Not to say that people aren't coming out to shows, because, I mean, since we since the Sherman opened back up, it's not like people aren't coming out. I mean, we had, we had a weekend of shows and there was quite a few people at all three of them. So. Dude, I drove down to Asbury park a couple of weeks ago to see Limp Biscuit, and the show got canceled. I I heard about it getting canceled. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I have to go to this. I don't care. I have to. Yeah, man. It's a weird times. Yeah, I know. It seems to be happening more often than not, but you know what? 
I think as much as it sucks, it's the right thing to do if 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 it comes to keeping people safe right now. I because agree. we don't do that, and then everything gets canceled. You know, that's <clears throat> that's also the risk in buying a concert ticket right now. Mm-hmm. Slowly coming back, but there's a chance that it can get canceled. And I think sure. that that's also a realization. Don't get your hopes up. You know, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, maybe next time. But you know, it kind of is what it is. It's all. It's yeah. a lot of this is out of our hands. So why don't we do this? We've bullshitted about some local stuff and music yeah. and bands. I like kind of digging into your music taste. Okay. Um, so I've got some funny questions that I want to ask you, and the only reason I, I, they they come across as funny is because. I posted a video saying that I didn't like Led Zeppelin and apparently everyone and their mother watched it. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't talking shit. I was just it's saying just that not for you. it's just not for me. Sure. So we're going to start off with that question. Bands in history that, you know, their contribution to music, you know, that they're talented, you know, that they're great songwriters, you know what they've accomplished as musicians, but they just don't do it for you. Yeah. So I said, it's- you know, Led Zeppelin, I said Wilco, I've said Weezer, I said Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'll even go in and say Radiohead. Yeah, well, starting there, I, I don't I, I don't know if I've ever listened to Radiohead in my life. So I couldn't tell you. If you showed me a song, maybe I'd be like, okay, I've heard that song before. But like, legit, I couldn't tell you. I'll be straight up with you. Uh, you too? I think, okay, so we had a U2 tribute band. They were great, don't get me wrong. I'm sure you two would have loved their the way they represent represented you two. Okay. Not my thing. I will say there was one song where I was like, oh damn, that's you two. Didn't know that. Definitely not. Like I get it. I'm sure they're great. They're huge. Not for me. I feel like you want me to say it because you want me to get killed, but the Beatles. I understand the impact they have had on music and music history and music in general. I can't just sit there and listen. I just can't. Like I tried. I promise I tried, but I just can't do it. Like, listen, Eleanor Rigby, people say that's one of the greatest songs ever written ever. And then I listen to it and I'm like, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, the kid's going in. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I had that conversation with my dad because I said, dad, send me Beatles stuff that you love, that you think I would like. And that was like number one on there. And I'm like, dad, this song is not good. Like, it's just not. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure there's more. Uh, you, Red Hot Chili Peppers again. Yeah. I, they're, they're so big. I get it. I don't know how, but I get it. So here's another fun one. You work in a venue, so you might be able to speak oh, to this better yeah, than okay. anybody. Great or decent band? Awful fans. Anything country? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. Dropkick Murphys. Oh God. Yeah, no, I could you it's you know what's funny? Part of my responsibility as my responsibilities grew in what I was doing at that place, right? Uh one of them has to do with handling of money, something I've never did my whole life, right? And I kind of got thrown into it. I got thrown into it at my first show when it was like my responsibility to make sure everything was squared away from every uh bar, everything that had to do with money, right? Was dropkick Murphy's sold out 1800 people. And I remember thinking, like, oh, 
this sucks. <laughs> like, I, like, I totally get it. I can't speak more on it, but I get it. And I'll flip-flop that because I get it. But also, on a positive note, a, a, a genre of music that is totally not my thing, but the fans are very nice, would be like anything jam band, which we do a lot of in Stroudsburg, and it does really well in Stroudsburg. Mm -hmm. But like, so this weekend we had Cabinet. They're like a folky jam band, totally not my thing, but everybody super nice. Everybody just wants to dance and drink and whatever. Uh, again, not my thing. My least favorite thing about jam bands are not that everything sounds the same because it does, but also, also, as you know, as, as TMing and everything, you have a set schedule. So opener seven to seven 30, 15 minutes, uh, uh, X, Y, Z end time is this time jam bands. It literally says 9 PM dash end. And then you wait for when that end inevitably will eventually come. I like how, long, how long is your set? Three hours. How many songs did you play? Three. Four? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Saturday, they were like, they'd finish the song and be like, well, it's not raining yet. I guess we'll keep going. I'm like, oh. Best show you've ever attended. Okay. Well, there's a bunch of them. I, I mentioned that Delta Sleep show. I don't know why. It, it really stuck with me, but it really did. Uh, they're so they're really technical. Their their drums are like crazy, time signature, whatever. Uh, at one point, the drummer had his cell phone in his hand, like he was recording the crowd and playing with one hand, but it wasn't like a beat because he had fills, so he was doing all his fills with one hand, recording with the other. And I remember thinking, like, like how is this man doing this right now? Um, so th that's one of them. I went to, uh, again, I feel like I'm talking about the same bands, but I saw Minus the Bears' Farewell Tour, which they did a mix of, like, every record they've done, B-sides and everything. That was in New York City, and I'm trying to remember the venue, but I honestly can't. Went with Lamont. Super cool show. Um, I saw Owen from American Football at uh, – a record store in Brooklyn with Jay, my buddy from England saw some 41 dude does us look infected, which I opened for that show. So that was a, a plus side. So it was like a really sick show and I got to play. So that was sick. I think the best lineup of a show I've ever attended. I went to see anti-flag in Philly. This is 2006. Yeah. It was anti-flag Alexis on fire, big D in the kids table and set your goals. Sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. And I had never seen Set Your Goals. I mean, I didn't even know who they were. And sure. have you ever been to a show where the opening band blows you away and like the rest yeah. of the show is kind of mediocre? Yep. I love all of those other bands. But Set Your Goals came on and that was kind of like at the beginning of that like pop punk hardcore thing. And I yeah. never heard it before and they blew me away. And yeah. that, that whole thing was kind of short lived, but I love that band. Yeah, no, they're great reminds me back then warp tour when warp tour was like stacked you know yeah like i saw uh uh 05 my chemical romance fallout boy doing from under the cork tree uh i saw the transplants the offspring motion city soundtrack 
like oh well, that's another I, I saw them a couple other times i love that band they, they would be on my top five too i forgot about them they're up there for me i love that band guilty pleasures and this is a weird one because if you like it you like it so i really hate yeah. i really hate guilty like, you're the, right the i shouldn't pleasure i shouldn't feel that way i do have a few that are like all right so what i what what i will determine as my guilty pleasures are stuff that sounds nothing like what i've talked about so far so no i have no remorse for liking it but it's totally different uh anime intros <laughs> they fucking slam don't care um and then the bands that those come from so like asian kung fu generation love that band um kanaboon love that band these are all like japanese rock bands they're so good like a lot of like indie pop stuff. So like Darwin D's ginger root, which I recently found randomly from a YouTube video. And I was like, damn this, I started like shaking in bed. Like, this is cool. So like, I started listening to that trying to think there's definitely some other ones. I'm trying to, I I could go through my Spotify stuff, but I'm going to, I mean, it take too long. I don't really admit this all that often, but like, I really, I dig Taylor Swift. Okay. Yeah. uh, there's some Bieber stuff that I, that I really dig. That's totally fine. It's catchy, dude. I, I, I'm, sure. I can't deny a catchy song, man. There's nothing wrong with it. I, I feel like we as people need to release the stigma, not liking something because it is uh, this genre or that genre. I like I have started to listen to something and say, Oh, Wow that sounds really cool. I don't really care what it is. If I enjoy listening to it, I'm going to listen to it. Bands that you don't listen to on purpose, but you won't turn it off if it comes on. Um, so, so for me, this is like anything from the nineties, like one hit okay. wonder nineties, like Eagle Eye Cherry or okay. uh, like Len. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I feel like this ties into, so it's so weird because I really like, I don't listen to the radio. I I like, if my radio is on, it's tuned to 91.1, which around here is a classical and jazz station, which I always love when it's jazz. I'm like, all right, turn it up. Um, Classical is cool too. When it's opera, I'll just turn that right off. I'd rather sit in silent. But anyway, so like, I don't really get a lot of random encounters with music. That being said, uh and maybe this goes up more along the lines of music that i don't like but like 80s music i leave it on because it's funny like i know there's people that love 80s music but i almost listen to it as a joke if that makes sense like especially like if my brother's around it'll be like we'll like mock the song even though it's probably like, like Bon Jovi, like someone probably loves Bon Jovi and it's just like, it's almost a joke. You know what I mean? I guess that goes along with the other question. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. These are all just kind of funny. You know, it just kind of gives everybody your perspective on certain bands or certain genres or, I mean, kind of like you said about the Beatles, I prefer the Stones over the Beatles personally. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to den- deny the contribution of the Beatles, but you know, I always ask too, who's your favorite Beatle? Is it McCartney or is it Lennon? I'm a McCartney guy. I'm a Hook kind of guy. I wouldn't even know. To be I know, honest I, with you. I know, you know, you like what you like. Um, which reminds me of uh, again, not a not a guilty pleasure, but uh, 
something that I love. It's probably because I ra- was raised that way, but like Steely Dan, yeah, Hall and Oates, because it's uh, good. Like, like, and I will, I will actually listen to that. So like, I. if I'm in that moon, I, that mood, I will put Steely Dan on the Royal Scam, flawless front to back. Like, that's my record. I'm like that with like Pink Floyd and the Kinks. Okay, and stuff like yeah. I remember, like in Sabbath. Like, oh, here's another one. Sorry, one last question. Lead singers that were better than the band they were in. So this is more of an opinion question, right? Black Sabbath or Ozzy? I I feel like. Ozzy got, Ozzy got huge. I prefer uh, Black Sabbath. Yeah, I would too. I, I yeah, I would too. Like ACDC, right? I'd prefer the band over the singer. Okay, oh, you went, you, you went a little bit different direction on that one. Yeah, I know. I'm just uh, trying to think. Like Timberlake or NSYNC? Timberlake. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Gwen Stefani or No Doubt? Oh, No yeah. Doubt. That's a tough one because she had some rad solo stuff, but I love No Doubt. Yeah, that shit is bananas. <laughs> well done. <laughs> we're, we're just about that hour and 10 mark. And I try, to, I try to keep these pretty consolidated just so that I don't bore anybody. I'm probably going to call you as soon as this call ends so okay. that uh, we can get some shit going. So I appreciate okay. your time tonight, man. Yeah, man. No problem. Good times. This was, this, was a, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Well, hey, Thank man. Let's, uh, let's hang out soon because it's been a hot okay. It's been Yeah, it's, let's do it. It's been a couple years, I think. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. Let's do it. Sounds good, man. Well, hey, I'm going to call right. it. I'll call you in a few. All right. See you <laughs> later. later. Bye. Bye-bye. Zach, thanks again for your time. Thanks again for participating. Thanks for sharing some of your stories. Uh, It's a bold statement to say that you don't like the Beatles, but hey, man, I get it. I'm not a big fan of Zeppelin. (laughs) You respect it. You just can't get into it. We've all been there. If you haven't yet, check out episode one with AJ Larson, episode two with Cliff Albert, and episode three with my brother Dylan Garrett-Smith. Before we get into the exit song, I wanted to shout out Christina McCaro, my girlfriend. She's actually been helping me with a lot of the art. She's been helping me with a lot of the social media direction. She's been helping me with some of the posts. So go check out Christina on Instagram. She can be found at Christina McCaro. She's also an awesome salon owner in Jersey City. And within the next couple weeks, she's actually going to be launching a podcast of her own called In Hair We Trust. So the closing track is actually a song called I've Been Better by Zach's band called Headspell. There's an awesome music video for this song. Um, I really like the lyrical content. The music is really cool. There's a lot of references in the music video that remind me of growing up in the Poconos. Um, So check out that video as well. Check out Headspell on Instagram at head underscore spell. H-E-A-D underscore S-P-E-L-L. They also have a show this upcoming Saturday at the Sherman Theater in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania with Don't Panic. So here it is. I've Been Better by Headspell.